Welcome everyone. We are back to get together for another exciting season here at the Madonna Get Together. I am your host Wayne and I've got a great season coming your way, a new logo, new music, and let's see what other new things throughout the year. Uh, one thing that will not change however is me getting to know new fans from around the world and today will be no exception. We are kicking off season two with a spark, a flame, or let's say a light, a ray of light, if you will. Yes, we are talking about ray of light, and I've got quite the guest to help me. He is a multi-award winning theater artist whose plays have been performed in over 15 cities all across the world, including Sydney, Brisbane, Singapore, and Dubai. He has acted in over 30 productions, written more than 15 scripts, and directed a dozen productions, including a jukebox musical, a cabaret-style musical, a conceptual ballet. He's also a TED Talk speaker, which you can find on YouTube, titled Pain, Art, Sex, and Madonna. He's also a tarot reader for Lifestyle Asia and has a debut novel being released by HarperCollins later this year. And oh yeah, Madonna made him a video for Instagram. And plus, he's become a good friend of mine. Quicker than a ray of light, she's flying and traveling down her own road. Here to give us his flirtation dance, please welcome from India, Zorian Cross. Welcome. Hello, Wayne. Thank you for having me on board. Happy to finally have you on the show. It feels good to be on the show. We've been talking for, I, I mean, pretty much since this podcast started. Um, we've been talking back and forth, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have you on the show. Let's let's figure out what you want to do. And you said Ray of Light. And I'm like, I'm not there yet, but yeah, let's do it. Um, so we're here. We finally made it. You're the season opener. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy I could be the opening act. <laughs> I mean, I'm not comparing myself to Madonna because it's too much of an ego trip to compare yourself to a creamy, smooth pop icon <laughs> goddess. But I've had so many lives since I was a child. And <laughs> I have way too many varied interests that somehow add up to my flirty little career. And I just believe that things are just going to keep changing. I mean... I recently got back into art and I've been making mandalas and art drawings all over Instagram. And yeah, that's all. true too. Like you're, you're also an artist and you've done some really great work. It's kind of funny. I was dating this guy who was an art student and um, he saw a couple of my scribbles once and he's like, you should draw. You're really good at it. And I was like, nah. But then he broke my heart and I needed something <laughs> cathartic to do with the pain. Which is a very Madonna thing to have yeah. something cathartic to do with pain or heartbreaks. And that's when I thought, fuck him, I'm going to be a better artist than him. Although he has years of training and I'm just an amateur, but a girl can dream. Oh, a very good amateur. So tell everyone about <laughs> the Madonna video on Instagram that she made for you. Okay, so this happened during the Rebel Heart Tour era when Madonna first joined instagram like remember when she was posting those weird selfies of all sweaty and her booty mm -hmm. clips and everything yeah so um during the rebel hot promo um she did this whole bitch i'm a sock thing where i guess gaio siri was the sock puppet <laughs> and <laughs> and so basically uh there was she made this video saying 
Instagram, ask me what you want. And, you know, I've been following Madonna since I was five years old. I've loved her ever since. And I was like, fuck it, why not? Who knows? So I just went on, made a little 15-second video. That time they only had 15 seconds for videos on Instagram. And surprisingly, out of all the people in the world, she picked me. Yay! Um, <laughs> and the coolest thing was, like, I guess because of the time difference, I was asleep when it happened. When I woke up, I had, like, over a 1,000 new followers on Instagram on my own oh, account. Wow. I had people clogging up my DMs, my Facebook, my Instagram, my WhatsApp was flooded with people saying, oh, my God, Madonna made a video for you. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And apparently a local newspaper even made a story about it and published it. And I was like, damn. I remember I was rehearsing one of my plays and my actors came over with a cake saying, congratulations, Lorraine, love from Madonna. And, yeah, I couldn't rehearse that day, so I just took them all out and got them majorly shit-faced <laughs> drunk. Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, well, now on to the next thing. You have a TED Talk. Um, so talk yeah. a little bit. I won't give it away, so if anyone wants to watch it, they have to actually go to mm-hmm. YouTube to watch it, and you can find it there. Um, of course. But tell mm-hmm. people what it's about and, and how you – either got asked or requested or or how did you get a tech talk? Okay. Well, first of all, I never request for things. I'm always asked to do things. That's something I've always, I'm not trying to be a snob, but that's just, (laughs) 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 well, I'm not trying to be a snob about it. I'm just like, you know, that is a certain spiritual philosophy I have is that, you know, when you keep asking for things, you create poverty consciousness because you're always like, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that, blah, 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 blah. I know some philosophers say you should ask and you should receive, but in my experience, I always feel that, you know, maybe it's just my own mind where maybe I'm asking too little, but sometimes I'm just like, I'm just going to let the universe take me wherever it wants me to go. And randomly, just one day, I think this was um, right after a play I did, called Swan Song, which was one of my most successful plays. Uh, I got an email from some students who belong to the local tech chapter, and they were all like, we'd like to invite you to come on board. And I was like, really? Me? And uh, I was flabbergasted because, you know, I always thought TED Talks were like, you know, for people who really achieved big or done something, but when I asked the TED people why me, they're like, haven't you not seen your plays? Your plays are brilliant. So I was like, okay, but what do you guys want me to talk about? I have so many things. They're like, what do you love the most? I was like, Madonna. <laughs> so they were like, okay, but talk a little something about yourself too. And how. And if you want to talk about Madonna, talk about maybe how she influenced your journey. I thought, okay, I'm just going to go with my heart and speak my mind. And I thought, let me talk about, like, you know, how pain and art and sexuality are so important for an artistic journey. And by sexuality, I don't just mean sex. I also mean, like, you know, your sexual orientation, your gender identity, et cetera, et cetera, and how that shapes the artistic mind and how 
through the magic of art, you can transmute painful memories and pain and trauma and make something beautiful out of it. It's actually really good. And it's only, <laughs> well, you know, with the editing or whatever, I think it's only like 15 minutes, um, a clip that's on mm-hmm. YouTube, but it's, it's really good. It's really powerful. Um, so I encourage everyone to go out there and watch it. Please do. And leave nice comments. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, today is Super Bowl Sunday here in America. And it's been 10 years since Madonna has performed her legendary halftime show. Any thoughts or, or things that stand out that make you remember that performance? Oh, God, I remember throughout that performance, my heart was like still like because like this is like the first major Madonna performance we're seeing after a gap of God knows how many years. But when I saw it, I thought this was apart from it being one of the most immaculate performances ever. I just thought this is such an intelligent performance in so many ways because, you know, I know everyone's saying, oh, she's being Cleopatra, she's the queen. But what they don't understand is she's basically Cleopatra entering enemy territory. Like, you know, the Romans obviously slut-shamed Cleopatra like crazy because that's what the patriarchy does to a strong woman. God knows Madonna knows all about that. And when she's... The thing is, Cleopatra enters Rome with so much fanfare and everything that the Romans can't help but be won over by her. And now what is Madonna doing here? Where does she enter? She enters the football stadium, which is the temple of patriarchy, of straight jock boys who bully tons of gay kids throughout, who traumatize us and everything, probably even said shit about Madonna, especially during the erotica era. And let's face it, before Madonna did the Super Bowl, the gays never cared. I mean, nobody really watched the Super Bowl who wasn't a straight white American man or just a straight American man for that matter, because football is a big straight person thing. It's unless you watch certain gay porn videos. (laughs) (laughs) No comment from the peanut gallery. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah. And what did she do? She gave the greatest show ever for the first time in Super Bowl history. There were more viewers for the halftime show than the actual game itself. Let's face it, even the entire audience was crazy. Like, there's so many videos on YouTube. You can see people recording the Super Bowl on their phone and going absolutely ballistic. Yeah. And after they're straight men, they're straight people with their kids giving yeah. the voiceover commentary and all that. And I'm like, she's done it. She's Cleopatra conquering enemy territory and winning their hearts. That is, that is why one of the many reasons I love Madonna is nothing is just a throwaway performance for everything is so not just intricately designed and choreographed and all the technicalities, but the thought behind what she does is so brilliant and so deep. And I just wish, you know, people would pay attention to those hidden messages. And by that, I don't mean the Illuminati symbolisms or whatever, (laughs) which QAnon would totally get a kick out of, but, what I mean is just see the thought behind the process. See, there's a certain message, which is why I also love the Ray of Light album, because to me, it reads like a little linear story with a little reincarnation bit at the end. I mean, we'll get to that when I discuss the album more, but there's so many brilliant artistic things about her, which 
I know I'm sounding like such a fanboy, but fuck it, it's a Madonna podcast. Where else will I be a fanboy about <laughs> it? But yeah, I've never seen anyone else put so much intricate thought behind the concept. I've never seen anyone go that all out there. I guess, and none of them have even been that in that much fun. I mean, yes, I enjoyed Katy Perry's. Yes, I enjoyed um, Shakira and J-Lo. But remember, they needed Shakira and J-Lo together to reach that level of awesomeness altogether. And, you know, it's, I don't know, I've just not felt so moved by a performance at the Super Bowl as much as Madonna moved me. But I could be biased, you know. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but I think this is a perfect transition. So I... Let's talk about Ray of Light. Um, just a little bit of yes. background for those who don't know. Uh, it's Madonna's eighth studio album, but like technically her 13th album in total, which, which was very serendipitous because she was very obsessed with that number at that time. Maybe she still is. I don't know. And only wanted like that many songs on the album. Uh, now, this was released in the USA on March 3rd of 1998 three 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 another number she was obsessed with because ray of light was the third track on the album um the cover was done by mario testino lots of makeup and lights as she puts it uh but i i find it humorous that the way that session went is they took a bunch of photographs she got to a point she goes i'm done and he's like well we're not done yet and he's she's like no you work for me when i say we're done we're done and he said no, I'm not done. Let's continue onward. And then the next shot that he took was the cover of the album after that argument. So I think that was, that's a pretty um, cool story. And uh, she did the most amount of pr- promotion, particularly in the U.S. at this time for this album um, with daytime TV, which was – sort of new for her. She did a little bit of it during Evita, but she did a whole bunch, which she normally had never done before. And, and I'll give my take on that. When we start talking about that, she had an MTV special, like two VH1 specials. She was on Larry King. She was on Oprah, Rosie. She was on the MTV awards and VH1 fashion awards, the Grammys, a multitude of performances throughout, um, But first, let's talk about the album. Where were you and how old were you when the album first came out? I was 13 when the album came out. So that adds to the whole Madonna 13 numerology mythos to it all. Look at that. Your soul entered your body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I say this is the album that made me a stan. Like, I've always loved Madonna. I always, like, you know, when I go to, I always went to Catholic school when I was a kid. So there'd be this big statue of the Virgin Mary. And all the kids, even if they were Catholic, like I'm not Catholic by birth or Christian by any manner. But just like that, you know, in India, maybe at that time, we see any statue of a goddess, irrespective of where she comes from, we venerate it in some way or other by either touching the goddess's feet in the statue and seeking blessings or whatever. Little, little gay me would always go touch the statue and be like, Madonna, Madonna. And in a way, Madonna is another name for the Virgin Mary. (laughs) Yeah, but this was when I was 13 and my bar mitzvah year, so to speak. And 
this is when I was like, okay, this is a goddess I see in front of me who's created not just brilliant music. Like I grew up listening to all the 80s and 90s hits, but when this came out, this was unlike anything I ever felt before. And what's special about this album is this is also when I had my first kiss. Oh. Not on the exact release date, but in the entire era. Yeah. Ten minutes later, I gave my first BJ, but that's another story oh, for gosh. another time. <laughs> a different <laughs> podcast, maybe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe it would look better in the erotica episode, but that's... Oh, gosh. <laughs> I remember just being blown over. So, and I mean, I'd heard all the album, I'd seen all the videos till then, whatever used to come on MTV and all. I wasn't allowed to buy Madonna CDs or audio cassettes for some time. Not because my parents were vehemently against it, but only because, like, um, I think you can also understand that you get a lot of backlash being a young Madonna fan on so of many course, levels. Yeah. But post Ray of Light, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to let my freak flag fly. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Oh, yeah. I, I make sure <laughs> I mark it as explicit. Fuck. Yeah, parental Say as, advisory. as much as you want. Fuck, 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 fuckity fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think I was 19. I was working in retail. I knew the album was coming out. And it was, I mean, to me, this was the big thing because. You know, I haven't heard original music by Madonna since uh, Bedtime Stories. So, mm -hmm. or, hear, I mean, oh, yeah, something to remember, not... you know, there were some tracks. Mm. But, you know, Bedtime Stories was the, the last album full of original music that felt more like her. Uh, so, mm -hmm. and even then, that was more of a, a very mid-tempo, low-energy album. So when this album was coming out and the build-up to it with with seeing the Frozen video and getting the getting a hold of the Frozen single because it wasn't available in the U.S. until after it was already available in like Europe and Japan and stuff. I remember going to one of the local um, record stores because they would get imports and finding it there and being so excited because I got to hear you know the the Victor Caldron remix of frozen um but so when the album came out uh i was trying to to figure out where do i go to get the album like some places do midnight releases but i found a walmart that had it out and i called them and went there at 10 o'clock at night after i got off from work and bought the album and i remember putting it into the cd player hadn't heard anything previous to this from of any of the other tracks other than what has been shown like on MTV or whatever. And, you know, the album starts with drown world and it's just this very slow buildup. You hear like winds and wind chimey type sounds. And, and then you hear this, this voice say, you see, and then this bass kicks in and you know, like the hairs stand up on my arms and you get goosebumps because it's like you don't know what to expect and then all of a sudden like your your soul gets filled in a sense from this sound and i just i just couldn't believe what i was hearing i was so excited i have this big grin on my face but like at the same time it, it was giving me chills to listen to it oh yeah 
from there, like let's let's talk about Drawn World slash Substitute for Love, the first track on the album. Before we get there, can I just add a tiny little segue about my Madonna standem curtsy this album? Yeah. What I remember also about this album was this was the first time in the longest time Madonna was universally loved by almost everyone. She was still recovering from the erotica backlash and everything, and there was a lot of negativity towards her from especially the street community. But post-Evita, and especially post-Rear Flight, I remember I could talk to street people and they'd be like, oh my God, we love Rear Flight. I'm like, "Yeah, there's my queen, I love it. Well, what I find interesting too is, um, you know, I think she got to a point and we can talk more about this as we go forward and we talk about like the, the different talk shows she did and everything. But I think she got to a point where she was ready to let it all hang out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, she That's why she, she never wore a bra on most of the photo yeah. shoots. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to talk about that. I, I've got a couple of um, thoughts you know, the Drown World video, for example, uh, she's not wearing a bra and she's just running down the hallway and they're bouncing up and down. I love it. Um, but I, I think she got to a point in her career where she was like, you know what? I don't care what anybody else thinks of me, but, you know, I think she still, she worked her way. I don't know if it was intentional, but it was more of like, she was more concerned with the critics, like official critics who, you know, have a sense of musicality in them versus just the general public. So I don't Mm -hmm. think she knew exactly what this album was going to do, but I think she just kind of focused on this is what I want to do. And I, I found this niche. I found this great producer, William Orbit, who, you know, basically helped her build this, build this landscape in this, this city of songs, um, which complemented both her lyrically and phonically, like how the sound came across. And I mean, it was mm-hmm. a perfect combination without William Orbit, this album would not have been made. Like, and I, and that's one thing is that I think she gave William Orbit a lot of credit, but I don't think the general public gave William Orbit a lot of credit. I mean, yes, it's a Madonna album, but I mean, honestly, William Orbit created these sounds. I mean, essentially you could say for her, even though he had been working on stuff, like he had all this, this creative energy in him too. And I think it was like this perfect melting pot of both of their thoughts and ideas. And, um, you know, I think Madonna, I think Madonna was struggling before this because we'll talk about the demos before that too. I think she had an idea of, you know, lyrically where she wanted to go and and Mm -hmm. melodically where she wanted to go, but I don't think she had that, that, that sonic sound that she was mm-hmm. looking for until she found William Orbit. I think it's also because the entire album is influenced by Eastern spirituality in many yes. ways, not just, not just Shanti Ashtangi, but there are a lot of Eastern philosophical thoughts, which we'll get to it track by track. But I think all the producers she was working with earlier, like Dallas Austin and Babyface and a few others from the demos, that's their sound didn't work well with this. William had this more fluidic sound with all the bubbles and the watery elements yep. and the strings and all. So that works so much better. I think, you know, I, I don't think nobody gave William Orbit credit. I think a lot of critics gave William Orbit credit and not many people gave Madonna the credit she deserved because 
There's always been that stigma that Madonna just comes into a recording studio where the producer's done on the work. But what people fail to understand is that even William has said it so many times in the interviews we saw for the whole Ray of Light promo that Madonna's very hands-on. She has yeah. definitive ideas and she's very intuitive about things. And I think we can't dismiss one for the other. Neither can we say one did more on the other. I think they both brought their magical qualities to this album and it was just a perfect artistic marriage, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what are your thoughts on the first track, Drown World? Okay, so I remember when I first heard it as a kid, I was like, what is this? You know, because it starts with that whole spooky, smoky, atmospheric sound. And then you get the UC, which I later on realized was by somebody else. But I was like, did she tweak her voice? (laughs) But then as I heard it, I was like, huh, this is beautiful. And as I went deeper and deeper into the song, and especially when I was hearing it over the past couple of weeks as we were preparing for this episode, I just found it to be such a deep song. Like in the beginning, I said that this album is kind of like a story she's telling riddled with Eastern spirituality. So I see Drown World is kind of like the prologue to that story, if that makes sense, you know, because in, when you read a novel or you see like a play before the first act, there's all this little pre not even a preview prelude so to speak or when Mm -hmm. you see an opera there's always the overture before the main opera starts so yeah this is like a prologue or overture where she's literally laying the manifesto of what the song is about which is i'm taking stock of my life and i've done shit i've done crazy stuff which was probably self-destructive and harming i surrounded myself with terrible people all the more and now it's time to change And what's interesting is, you know, look at, I mean, we'll discuss more with Swim later, but look at the way Drowned World, Swim to the Ocean, Flow, Ray of Light. That's literally a death and rebirth process happening because, um, forgive me, I'm going to go very mythological geek on all of you, so forgive that bit of nugget. Yeah. Uh, One foot in spirituality, one foot in pop culture, no wonder I'm a hot mess. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) Yeah, coming to, if you notice, every mythological culture has a concept of a flood myth where the world had to be started over in the Bible, in the Old Testament, we have about the story of Noah's Ark, where, you know, the Old Testament God had to, like, sponge the entire earth with a flood. We even get that in the Epic of Gilgamesh. And in India, we have the incarnation of Vishnu called Matsya, who basically is a divine fish who is about who warns Manu, the founder of all mankind, that he's going to submerge the world in an ocean. He has to, again, instead of, unlike in the Bible where Noah had to build the ark, Vishnu gives Manu a vessel to collect not only all the animals, but also the rishis or the ancient sages so that wisdom can be prepared, so that the new races of mankind can learn from the wisdom of the gods and everything like that. So... This entire flood myth is very symbolic of reincarnation as well as it's symbolic of um, rebirthing and a mass cleansing because when you're in your mother's womb, for example, it's all water all around you, all the fluids and all the other squishy stuff going on inside. 
And that's why when a mother's giving birth, what's the first signal? My water broke. Right. So to speak. Yeah. And that's where I find this is, I say this as a prologue because this is Madonna saying, I'm ending my old life. The old me is gone. And now I'm getting ready to rebirth myself because I found my new religion, so to speak. Yeah. I hope that wasn't too heavy or too hardcore for anyone out there. I honestly don't think that, uh, I mean, I, it, that makes sense. I think you're providing a, a great introspective thought into, especially I think as we as fans, because we were so familiar with her work and what we what we did know about her life. I mean, we didn't know tons about her life, but we knew some of the, the main things that made headlines. So mm-hmm. this, this really was, and we knew that, you know, since the eighties that she had been wanting a baby, wanting a baby. And then she had her baby and then it had so much influence on what she was writing and her work at the time where, you know, she, she couldn't contain it. I think she had the, these mm-hmm. bottled up feelings, but they didn't come to light until after her daughter was born. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is very poignant. And when you're talking about these songs and this kind of like rebirth, because she, she did having her child allowed her to free this different side of herself that she didn't even know existed yet until it came to writing this writing for this album. Um, and that's where I feel like she was, she was more focused on the writing aspect, probably more so than the music until William Orbit came along and just was able to, like I was saying before, it was like, it made this perfect match with each other where she found someone that could match her energy and she did. And this song and this album is a reflection of that reflection in water. (laughs) <laughs> there you go, all the watery imagery. But also, I just wanted to add that, you know, do you notice the entire song has a sort of sway sort of musical thing, but it's more almost like she's speaking the verses out? Yes. But when we get to the bridge, it's all of a sudden really fiery and ragey, like famous. Play. It's like a crescendo that builds like a slow burn. The water starts bubbling with the famous faces, far off places. And no one night stand, no, forgive my bad singing, no fire that I get sparked. That's where the crescendo goes at the fire. They try to show that, you know. Um, again, I'm basing this a lot on Kabbalah as well as Eastern spirituality. When fire and water combine, those are yin and yang forces of oppositions combining. And that's when birth or conception yeah. begins, so to speak. Yeah. And it's almost like her, you know, she's no longer drowning. Like she's no longer... Yeah. underwater like this was her like rising from the ocean her big aerial moment where she lifts her head out mm-hmm. of the ocean out of the water <laughs> or out of the birthing canal you know like whatever mm-hmm. metaphor you want to use and mm-hmm. she's now like yes i'm ready for it and now i'm gonna swim to the ocean sure <laughs> yes right let's talk about the video yes well so I get what was being done in the video. I I think it's mm-hmm. a good representation of what the song is about to fit mm-hmm. the modern world. Um, I thought in some ways it was 
a little literal. She she got into some hot water by some people that were critical because they were comparing it to Princess Diana because Princess Diana had just passed away the year mm-hmm. prior, and people were saying like, "Oh, she's trying to comparing herself to Princess Diana." Where my thought was like, "Well, no, she's a celebrity too. This happens to her, and she's said this like." paparazzi are like crazy especially in the uk i think it's gotten worse all around the world but um yeah. at that point like especially paparazzi now, like, were doing that riding on the back yeah. of motorcycles trying to get a picture yeah. of her while a driver is trying to just drive no i remember seeing so many news shows where especially during when she was touring she'd always be running and in the parks and all, and paparazzi would be on bikes chasing after while she's exercising. I remember there were so many times like paparazzi capturing pictures of her, probably digging her nose and walking in a private moment <laughs> or whatever. And yeah, I remember that. I remember some horrible straight boy in my Catholic school showing me that picture of Madonna digging her nose. Like, haha, look at that. I'm like, fuck you, she's human. But anyway, that's the thing. And I think even if it, they criticize her for showing, alluding to Princess Diana, but Madonna led a very similar life in a way, not by the sense of Diana's personal tragedies, but being hounded by the media, being, well, in many senses, betrayed by the men in her life on so many levels. <laughs> and we all know Diana was betrayed by her share of men. But along with that, the lack of privacy, the only difference is Diana drowned in her drowned world, unfortunately. Madonna swam to the ocean flow. That's a very beautiful metaphor. Rest in peace, Diana. One thing I noticed in the video, the beginning of the video starts with her walking down a staircase, mm-hmm. presumably in her own home. I think it was a home in Mayfair. Is it her real home? Was it her real home? Or was it just like a set? I think it was a home in either Mayfair or Piccadilly, one of the places, her <laughs> early home. Maybe not the Mayfair home that came later. I noticed because when I visit London, I always go to Madonna homes over there, just, you know, pilgrimage spots. (laughs) What I noticed is she's walking down the Mm -hmm. stairs, and I didn't notice a banister. And I'm like, that looks very unsafe. That would never pass inspection in the U.S. (laughs) I always notice, like, these weird things in videos or, like, in movies. I'm just like, yeah, that would never fly here. And that looks very unsafe. Her daughter could fall off the side of those stairs. Um but okay, I digress. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I think American homes are more unsafe than British homes. So that's just my opinion. Well, I wouldn't know. I've never primarily, lived in England. Well, primarily because, at least in suburban America, everything is made out of wood. And I'm like, wood yeah. is not the most stable material to build a home out of. I live in a house that's over 100 years old, and it's all made mm-hmm. of wood. And how's the acoustics in the house? The acoustics are great. The windows, mm-hmm. not so much. They're very drafty. But they're original windows from 100 years ago. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just a cultural thing, but I'd feel more safer in a house made of actual brick and stone than wood. But I do love wooden floors, if that's any consolation. Well, these are original floors, and they're very creaky. Mm. No one could get away with <laughs> With like breaking in my house, I'm I'm gonna hear it. Even the dogs, like my my ten pound dogs, will make the floors creak because they're so old. Oh. Um, but I love the charm. I love the charm of the old house. This is why I'm here. Of um, one of the things I wanted to bring up is when she was on Oprah, 
because uh, that was one of the, the promotions she did. She mm-hmm. talked about this song and, and probably it's probably the song she talked most in detail about when she mm-hmm. met with different people. But her song is about trading fame for love, meaning she dated people because she thought it made her felt good and mm-hmm. made her look more famous or, or increased her celebrity, so to speak. Um, and I don't think and she realizing. needed to date anyone to make her famous. But I, well, we don't. I think we as outsiders see that, and we're like, "Yeah, girl, you don't need mm-hmm. anybody else. You're your own person." Mm-hmm. But of course, she's she's human. We sometimes forget, you know, celebrities are human beings, and I think that was the whole point of her making this song is like, people forget I'm human sometimes, and I I do need mm-hmm. to have I do want to have someone by my side sometimes, and I think through this song, she's realizing, you know, I have a new outlook on life and I no longer want that stuff. I want what has more meaning and, and toward to point towards the video, she picks up her daughter at the end of the the song and says, this is my religion. Meaning like, this is my re and going back to your point, this is my rebirth. This is, this is what means the most to me now. It's, it's no longer the celebrity or the fame. Wow, of course, we know no, she has her own ways of like <laughs> traveling down her own road and uh, eventually watching the signs as they go. <laughs> and of course, looking at her Instagram account now, fame seems to be important. Attention is still important to her. She's still a Leo. She still wants the attention. Um, <laughs> but I, I think this 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 track was revealing how humble she she can be. Um, and I think it was, it's a very important, it's another important part of her journey. Like we, mm-hmm. it's important for us as fans to know that too, so that sometimes me as a fan, I'll take a step back and say, okay, she was, ve- she was very adamant about paparazzi not filming her daughter. She was very controlling around who got pictures of her. Um, you know, it, if she was filmed for one of these shows that she was doing, she specifically asked, please do not show my daughter on the show. Cause even for the MTV ultrasound, it was prepared to show her daughter in the show. And then like a couple of days before she's like, can you please don't, please don't. Cause even in the clips you saw like this very small fraction of a clip of her daughter. Um, and then they pulled it right before they aired it, which, you know, shows that, you know, Madonna, what Madonna says goes, you know, people respected her and that, in that point i forget what i was i forget what point i was trying to make um but i think uh you know this this song is let's move on to the next song i forget where i was going with that <laughs> <laughs> okay but just one more thing about the drown world video i'm so sorry yeah how did you notice how you know especially by the time she reaches that big swanky party everyone's faces is kind of looks like a watercolor painting yes wishy-washy I was like, uh, all the faces become like, you know, watercolor paintings with bigger eyes and the skin is rippling like water ripples and all. Yeah. I thought that was quite a, at first, when I first saw the video as a kid, I was like, what the fuck's going on? But as I grew and matured emotionally and artistically, I'm like, huh, that is the intelligent Madonna I love. Always putting in these details that I learned later on in life. I know. And like Taylor Swift videos, which is so on the nose. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> swim. Yes. What are your swim. thoughts on swim? I know you were kind of talking about that's 
that's kind of like the transition. You know, she crescendos mm-hmm. out of Drown World, and then she goes into Swim. Yeah, so Swim, you know, I'm going to get a little spiritual, mythological, philosophical geek on you now, but if you look at it, it's like, you know, when a lot of Eastern philosophies believe that, you know, the soul, when it dies and goes up to wherever the souls go to, depending on which philosophy you believe in, the soul actually chooses the life it wants to choose. It chooses the womb it wants to be born in. It chooses the life, the city, the country, even your sexual orientation is all chosen by the soul in the heavens. That's why we are born the way we are born. And, you know, it's kind of like if you notice the the verse lyrics are all talking about how fucked up the world is, which is like, right. you know, students killing children killing children while students rape the teachers, blah, 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 blah. It's all trying to show that, you know, where the world is evil, the world is chaotic, but there's the choruses are kind of like, you know, messages saying at the end, the world is chaotic, the world is crazy, but this is your chance to do things again. It's like time to restart. Even though you're going to go back into the chaotic material world, now you've come with the wisdom you've gained in your previous lives, and now you're going to be reborn. And that wisdom hopefully gets settled in your soul and you become a better person and through your instincts make the changes you can. I don't want to bore you too much with details about reincarnation and karmic theory based on yoga principles, but we have to understand Madonna was really deep into yoga. Along mm-hmm. with studying Kabbalah, she did study hinduism she did study buddhism she did do a lot of research on a lot of things which even the verses about i can't carry these sins on my back i can't carry anymore i'm going to swim to the ocean floor which is basically again the cleansing the baptism of being born again yeah again it's like all your sins are going to be washed away be it through a literal baptism like they do in christianity especially with baptists or it's like you know the symbolic baptism of going to the maternal birth canal and being reborn again. And what I find really fascinating about this is also that, you know, there's that, the bridge, let the water wash over you. That's kind of like, you know, again, it's like, you know, convincing the soul to come back into this world. It's a chaotic world. It's not a peaceful heavenly realm or whatever, but there's work to be done. There's a mission to be done. And now we have to be reborn and restart and have our sins washed away. Maybe we'll make plenty of sins along the way, which the later on tracks talk about as well. But this is all, again, Again, I'm going into the narrative arc of the album, which is Drowned World is a prologue where one life is gone and now she's drowned the world. Now she's the flood is over. The ark is floating in the ocean. They've seen the bit of land, so they're going to swim wherever they can get to yeah i hope that made sense and i wasn't babbling about i'll i'll edit it later i'm i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) um no i think that's uh it's it's very much talking to the point that you were you were talking about before how how the songs transition each other and, and kind of like this this meaning of of water water of life essentially um and i think for this song, it's it's essentially like an affirmation to, to let people know, yeah. you know, things, yeah, things do get bad. Things fucking suck. And, but all you can do is, is keep moving on. You can't dwell in it. You can't, yeah. you can't carry these sins on your back. Like you can't yeah. just, 
be brought down by everything. You, you've got to swim to the ocean floor. You, you got to get out of it and move into your ray of light, which brings us yeah. to the third track on the album, the title track of the album, Ray of Light. Um, just a little background on this. This I consider this a cover. Uh, it was covered. It was a cover of a song called Seraphin by a guy named Curtis Maldoon. And his niece, like Christine something, I think it was his niece or, or mm-hmm. one of the duo's nieces, where she started working on a track with her group Baby Fox. And it, if you want to hear more about this, go over to Edward Russell's Inside the Groove podcast and listen to the Ray of Light episode. It gives you everything that you want to know about this song. But I just wanted to provide a little bit of, of background. But she did a cover of Seraphin, and it's... I mean, it's essentially the groundwork and the blueprint for Madonna's Ray of Light. So um, I think that's probably something that has gotten lost in translation over the years or even when it first came out. But, you know, like like most things, even, you know, if I want to go back to Justify My Love, if it wasn't for Madonna, that song wouldn't have been as grand or as popular as it ended up being. Um, but it is probably my favorite favorite track on the album uh it's got it's got the moves it's got the notion um it causes a commotion (laughs) but it's 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 honestly my favorite track and i think it's a great transition kind of like this this suite of the first second and third track it 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 really brings it really like brings you to light say okay now we're here now we're where i want you to You know, I I kind of brought you down a little bit in the beginning, but now we're going to dance. Now we're going to have fun. I'm still going to tell you about some things, but now it's going to be, it's going to be more fun from now on, at least until Frozen comes (laughs) and then I'll bring you down again. (laughs) Um, But tell me, tell me your thoughts on this song. Okay. I'm not going to bore you too much with the philosophical aspects, but um, it is essentially the rebirth has happened. The darkness of the depths of the ocean waters are gone, and now the ray of light has come. Light is the first thing a child sees when it exits the birthday canal. But yeah, this is basically like, you know, it's also like, you know, the way especially the video is shot is to show the sense of wonderment with a fresh new world. Like, you know, the whole video is showing people doing basic mundane things like waking up, brushing their teeth, going to the bathroom, driving off to work, doing their stuff, buying groceries, etc., etc., etc. But it's been shown from a very fresh lens with full of wonderment, which is what the song brings out. More than anything, this is a song about wonderment and about the world. And she's said in many interviews that, it's a reminder of how small she is in comparison to the greater macrocosm of the universe and how insignificant we are in many ways. But what I love about the song is it's such a fucking banger. Like we had these two deep philosophical tracks, which kind of make you like, yeah, the world is shitty. The world is whatever. But all of a sudden, I feel. Yeah. Uh, now I, I get the concept of the video. I th- I don't know mm-hmm. if Ray of Light is, my favorite video of uh, i'll say at least of this album and and (laughs) honestly i will say from this album there's only two videos that i think are are the best and we'll talk about those but i i feel like this album was just her on a blue screen she's like listen i've got i've got 
10 minutes to make this video. Let's get it on a blue screen and we'll make it real quick. <laughs> and then they just, oh, oh, what are we going to do with this footage? Oh, let's just throw this stock footage in the background. <laughs> it wasn't stock footage. So when I was doing my research, they actually went to different cities all across the world and filmed different time spaces. Like I think it was shot in Stockholm and London and New York and Vegas and LA. Yeah. And it's not like they use stock footage. They actually shot actual footage, which is, I know mil- Gen Zers would probably think this is an iPhone time-lapse video or whatever. <laughs> but no, it was actually, everything was shot by the entire crew, but Madonna insisted it all be edited in Los Angeles so that she could watch all over it because we all know Madonna in the editing room needs everything done to perfection. Her hand is always in the pot. That's why yeah. we love her. With her sticky fingers. <laughs> her sticky and sweet fingers. You want me to go all her booty get down like this on you? No. Please don't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, well, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite performance of Ray of Light? Pick one. You can't make me just pick one. Yes, so... you can. Can I, I do at least a top what's your... three? Okay, well, say your top three, and I'll edit it down to one. <laughs> no, because it's not in any order. It's basically like what's you know, the one that stands out to you day. the most? Like when if if I were to ask you right now, if we were to watch, if I said let's let's put on YouTube and let's watch a performance of Ray of Light, what's the one that comes to your head first? Oprah, mine too. That's actually my favorite performance. <laughs> I think her vocals are I top mean, notch. She mm-hmm. has the right energy, and I actually think this is the first mm-hmm. time she performed it. Right? That was the fir- her mm-hmm. first performance. Mm-hmm. I oh, yeah. or maybe because um, there yeah. was that secret performance that like that no one got to see because no cameras were allowed. Um, and of course, this is the time mm-hmm. before cell phones, so no one could like really sneak in a camera without it being a, a big ass camcorder that you held on your shoulder. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think this technically her second performance of this song, but. I just felt like it was, it was like a really incredible performance. Um, she kind of looked like a yoga mom uh, before before yoga moms became a thing. So I think she kind of like, <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure she's wearing probably some like eight hundred dollar pair of yoga pants. But you know, she just had this very humble, down to earth look to her, and that was the thing too. She her look was so different. She had the longest hair I have ever seen on her in her career. Um, mm-hmm. She had sort mm-hmm. of like this Renaissance painting type of hair where it was kind of like messy, but it was also like curly, but also really long. Um, and she liked yeah. to shake her head a lot, whether, whether it was in the video or in the performance, she had a lot of hairography and um, it was a, a incredible performance. Oprah tried to act like she knew the words, but she didn't. <laughs> Like she always did when she had musical guests on. Um, what are your thoughts? Tell me, <laughs> tell me why you love this performance. I love it because a Madonna just feel looks so happy performing it. Like you know, especially in the recent years when Madonna does a live performance on TV, you can sense there's a little bit of nervous tension mm-hmm. in the beginning, but it eases out as it goes along. Here, Madonna is just happy and free and wild, and she's. And you can feel the excitement in her to showcase this with the world. 
and the entire audience is full of all these suburban moms trying to jam to Ray of Light, which I kind of find funny. Yeah. <laughs> but that is Oprah's target audience along with the gay. That's the sad <laughs> slash, slash funny thing is that they're all like around the same age as Madonna, but they're all like very in these stuffy kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, what before they left the house, they're like, oh, I'm dressing up because I'm going to Oprah and I'm going to see Madonna. But they're wearing you know, sort of these outdated early 90s blazers and and their makeup is overdone and their hair is very, like, businesswoman, like, hey, I work in an office type look on everybody. So it was very entertaining to mm-hmm. kind of watch the juxtaposition, one of Madonna's favorite words, juxtaposition between what you see in the audience and then what you see, like, on the stage, where you see, like, cool, mm-hmm. hip, you know, pop, culture phenomenon on stage and then in the audience you just see like your mom and her friends moms (laughs) i wonder what you're going to say about hard candy now after this comment about the moms gosh we'll get there (laughs) not on this episode yeah we'll get there (laughs) (laughs) but yeah along with that what i really love about this performance is her this is the first live performance we get of her new voice, so to speak, post-Evita training with Joan later. And Madonna lets that voice rip. It's brilliant. I think it's... And she does have those goddess curls in her hair, which just makes her look like this ethereal yeah. yoga goddess just performing everywhere. From material girl to ethereal girl. Um, ethereal and ethereal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she, can I just say one thing it's interesting you said about the renaissance painting look about Madonna because yes the hairstyle is very like Botticelli's birth of Venus if you've ever mm-hmm. seen it anywhere a certain lesser being tried to make an album about it but that's another story but there was this uh, if you look at the Drown World tour if you look at the beginning of the entire tour where she starts singing Drown World, sorry to go back to that song again, but it is basically a technological birth of Venus happening on stage. The stage is opening up like a digital ocean with all those old TV screens opening up. The stage is rising with like a clam rising out of the ocean. And when it opens up there, we have Madonna as a punk rock goddess entering the stage. So it's interesting that you brought that up because that is something I really noticed when I saw the Drown World tour, which we never talk about Drown World's live performances, but anyway. Yeah, so it's basically, again, taking the birthing from the water, but digitalizing it with, I mean, late 90s, early 2000s level of digital technology. But yeah, it's like a digital birth of Venus happening on stage. And instead of Venus being this demure, meek, naked goddess, she's punk rock and wearing you know, kilts and fishnets and punky makeup and everything. Yeah, well, let's go back and talk about the Drown World performance. Did she perform this more than once than on the Drown World tour? Um, there were those few TV performances in various European countries and all, but I think she performed it during Confessions. Oh, yeah, Confessions yeah, yeah. Tour, she performed I don't know why I forgot that yeah. one, but I actually love that performance, and I think I prefer that, I prefer that one over Drown World. Um, just because I feel like it was a more relaxed performance because it wasn't the beginning of the show Mm -hmm. and it wasn't kind of like Mm -hmm. 
the grand opening and, and the grand first sort of performance of this song mm-hmm. um, where I felt like it was just, it was chilled. It was laid back. She's just chilling on the stairs um, while she sings mm-hmm. this song. Do you like, do you like the performance from confessions or drown world better as a concept to drown world as just the emotional performance confessions? She also sang it on some dates of rebel heart. I believe. Did she? Yeah, 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 yeah. When I was when I saw the Rebel Heart tour in London, I saw the night where she performed Like a Prayer. The next night she performed Drowned World instead of Like a Prayer. Ah. Apart from that, from my recollection, I don't think there's been a specific Drowned World Drowned World performance because that's not really a song you can really organically meld into a show too easily. You know right. What I mean? Yeah. Um, we also didn't talk about the remixes. Mm. So, do you have a favorite remix? Stronwell didn't have any great remixes. No, I would disagree. I think the BT and Sasha's okay. Buck Lodge Ashram remix is good. Now, it doesn't have, it's not like the full song. It doesn't have all the full lyrics and it's very long for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also made my own edited down version, which um, I like. I don't know. I think it just adds some extra element to the song and it's not it's it's mm. not a replacement of the song it's just an enhanced version of the song so it's not like it's just it, it doesn't sound completely different it's got more of a, a dance beat on the back end of it but um mm-hmm. i don't know i enjoy that one and i think that's really the only that was the only remix right yeah like i wouldn't i wouldn't like Turn it off. It was playing somewhere like in a shuffle or whatever, but I wouldn't seek out this remix just to hear okay. it on its own. That's fair. Okay, yeah. well let's let's get back on track. I'm sorry. Ray of light, ray of light, ray of ray light. Of light. Yes. Other performances of Ray of Light, I don't think Well, you said you have like a top three, but for me I think Oprah is probably like the definitive version because if we if we get to the MTV award performances i think that one was like that one was really tough to 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 watch and hear because i think no bra again which i love cuz you can like <laughs> fully see everything like you can see the nipple you can see everything um she's got brown hair in this performance and her vocals are not like they're not top notch and I, I think it was funny because this was also the time where Lenny Kravitz decided to cut off all his dreads and it was the first time he had and no one had really seen him. And he walks out playing the guitar and like, I don't think anyone knew it was him because there was no cheering, but they always go back. MTV went back and re-edited it and added all this cheering out of nowhere. It was like watching, you know, one of Madonna's concerts where they like to add like tons of cheering for, for no reason because it's not even necessary. <laughs> But he walks out. No one really knows who it is. And I think that threw off the performance a little bit because I think the audience was like, they're showcasing this guy. Is this someone famous? And yeah, it's Lenny Kravitz. Just a lot of people just didn't know he cut his hair. And I think they should have announced that Lenny Kravitz was performing with her and not try to make it a surprise because, you know, people didn't recognize Lenny without his dreads. Um, But the performance... And I always and I forgot that she brought dancers in at the end. Like I was watching it the other day, and I was like, "Oh, I, yeah, I guess she did bring dancers in at the end." But her dancing was good. She had a great energy. I just don't think her vocals were, you know, there. 
Sorry, I just said a whole bunch of negative things. Yes, you did. <laughs> okay, first of all, uh, the style of dancing she was showing is an Indian dance called Bharatnatyam in the beginning. So the background dancers behind were wearing the traditional outfits worn by such dancers. She was wearing a more sort of sannyasin outfit. Now, um, a sannyasin is basically someone who's taken up the path of enlightenment, who's given up the material world and is now basically trying to, through yoga, through meditation, trying to enhance their soul. So there was, like I said, you need to like look into the thought behind everything she does in any performance because there's a reason for it. To that point... Mm -hmm. You know, she's mm -hmm. performing for an American pop culture audience. So do you think I I love the background dancers. I think they were incredible. Mm -hmm. I just didn't understand mm -hmm. her part in it. And I think that's probably what threw me off. Um even mm -hmm. up until you just told me what it was about. Um so mm -hmm. do you think it was do you think it was an appropriate performance for that audience. So this is just my opinion. This is also where I stand as an artist is I really don't care if the audience gets everything, but I do believe that make a performance in such a way that people would either talk about it and maybe through talking about it, be it positively or negatively, they might cause them to think, why did you do that on stage? Because this is something I believe that a good artist will always have a reason behind everything that's done, especially in live theater or a performance. That's why, you know, choreographers choreograph everything from like, you know, the moving of a hand gesture while holding the mic is also choreographed. If you've seen all the concert tours mm -hmm. she does, everything is there for an intricate purpose. Like when I worked with, dancers on the ballet that I conceptualized, that's when I understood that, you know, everything has a purpose. Even when you're walking across the stage from point A to point B, there's a reason and a purpose. So, and I always believe that when your performance is good, even if 99% of the people don't get it, it may inspire someone maybe who's nerdy like me to actually go deep and deep dive and kind of wonder, why did she do this? What does it mean? And like I said, with the Super Bowl, it wasn't just Cleopatra, Madonna being in Cleopatra drag. There was a whole intent and purpose for it. Sorry, I don't mean to derail it, but yeah, that's the no, whole No, I appreciate that because, I mean, yeah, white white boy me didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> I mean, I understood. I, I think, you know, when you're exposed to something new um, mm -hmm. and it's it's not from your own culture, it's it's – it's interesting. You do want to know what's happening. And I think, but when someone that's also part of your own culture is introducing you to something from another culture, I, you know, that gets into a whole cultural appropriation thing, which we'll talk about. Nothing really matters in a few moments, but um, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's just interesting. I, and I think, you know, from an outsider's just very superficial, mm -hmm. just looking at, the image of things, I think that people can get very um, critical when it comes to things like that, because it's like, well, who's this white lady coming in and telling me or showing me someone else's culture? Let some, let that culture show me. But, you know, not everyone has the same platform 
you know, as Madonna might have in America in 1998. Mm -hmm. So, um, I appreciate you sharing that with me and basically helping me put my foot in my mouth. Um, (laughs) well, see, I'll be very honest now. I know that a lot of people say Madonna's doing a lot of cultural appropriation with this album, be it with, you know, Hindu Vedic culture with Shanti Ashtangi and certain performances or even with Japanese culture. Now, me as an actual Indian Indian, not some Indian kid raised in some white <laughs> suburb trying to be a doctor or whatever, right. but like an actual Indian living in India who is a certified yoga instructor amongst everything else that I do. Um, I didn't feel any sense of offense. In fact, I thought what she did was, again, very artistically, beautifully done. There was a lot of thought put into it. It wasn't Katy Perry doing Chinese drag at the American Music Awards for no reason. This was basically a very thoughtful, intentful performance. I'll discuss this in detail when we discuss Shanti Ashtangi, but she actually used traditional Indian artwork by a very famous uh, 18th century painter in the back screen showing the various goddesses of Indian mythology. And the whole dance was done in such a way to kind of showing praise to the goddess in many which ways. At the end, if you notice, all the dancers come with their arms all around. That's basically to show the Shakti aspect of the goddess or the goddess of power, the goddess of, you know, the inner strength which gives us. And that's basically what this whole performance is trying to show. Yes, I get it. Most Americans, most white people may not understand it. But at the end, think about it this way. It's like most white people never knew anything about yoga till Madonna did Ray of Light and showed her yoga arms on Rosie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, and I think Madonna has mm-hmm. mentioned in, in one of the interviews she did at the time, I think it was Much Music, where she said, you mm-hmm. know, like, I am a performance artist. You know, I've she is well-traveled, well-cultured, where she has traveled around the world and she has learned new things and she wants to share them and integrate them into her music. Now, not everyone is down with that, especially these days. Um, So I do think it was, I mean, in those times, I think it was, everyone was sort of given a pass. I mean, she wasn't making fun of culture she was just, and she, she literally says, I appropriate those things. Those are her words. I appropriate these yeah. things that I learned from other cultures into my own life and into my own work. And, you know, as you're saying, mm-hmm. I don't think Madonna will do anything without a lot of thought behind it and a lot of belief behind mm-hmm. it. Like she's, she's not just going to show up uh, in a kimono without their, well, actually she did at Cannes, but <laughs> that, that was you know, in 1991, but I'm just saying like, in general, I don't think she's just going to like all of a sudden put on a kimono and pretend she's a geisha. It's, it's all part of this, this storyline and the story arc that she is creating for us to, um, not only be enlightened about this culture that exists, but also that it can be shown to tell stories like through her songs and her performances. You know, all art is appropriation at the end of the day. And yes, nowadays cultural appropriation has become this big bad word altogether. But at the end, all art is appropriation. I'm not saying from a cultural standpoint, but 
you know, we see something, get inspired by it, and we create art, be it like a painter painting still life on a canvas or a young kid watching Michael Jackson's moonwalk and trying to imitate it at home or something like that. That is art. Art is appropriation. We see something, we like it, we want to create it for ourselves. Yes, cultural appropriation is a bad thing, especially with American indigenous cultures. I don't think like, you know, especially there was like, for example, Cher was doing cultural appropriation with half-breed in the 70s, but I wouldn't really call that offensive because at the end of the day, Cher represents something major to minority community. She's not exactly the prototypical white woman. She's Armenian with a whole bunch of stuff mixed in. She was offbeat and very counterculture back in the 60s and 70s. It's only later on she became Cher. But you know what I mean? All right. Candy Perfume Girl. That is a favorite track of mine. And just a little background on that. That's another... Mm -hmm. Another track that William was working with on some with someone else, Susanna Melvoin. And if you don't know who that is, that is Wendy Melvoin's sister, Wendy Melvoin of Wendy and Lisa Prince. So another Prince connection. I always there's always like this thread of of Prince and Madonna being connected in a, a very um, interesting way and to me this was one of them but again go to the inside the groove you can listen to this episode and they they play a track of of susanna's and um it's really interesting to, to hear the evolution and how it became madonna song what are your thoughts i'm just gonna tease you with a hot candy reference and she's not me wendy <laughs> i know i as soon as i heard that as soon as I heard the song, without even looking at the credits, I'm like, are they talking about Wendy Melvoin? And then I, of course, go to the credits and she plays guitar on there. And so, yes. <laughs> yeah, another another Prince okay, connection. Okay, Candy Perfume Girl. I personally see this is one of the songs which Madonna didn't write about herself, but wrote as a third person. Because lyrically, I always feel that this is a song about... Uh, transsexual prostitute who gets a pimp who gets a john to pick her up and then towards the end he finds out oh my god it's actually a candy perfume boy girl boy which is why there's an entire bridge of did i lie to you that's an interesting take on it i told you we only have a certain amount of time and that sounds like i want you to evolve more i want i want you to expand more and elaborate um but I won't ask you to because I think I get it. I, I get what you're saying. You have a very um, deeper thought into a lot of songs that I don't. But I also think this is a very important album to do that with because I think there was a lot mm-hmm. of things going on with her at this time. The whole mysticism, getting into the Kabbalah, having her her daughter, and then finding this this new musical style that she was doing. Um, really fits with really going deep into these songs. So I'm really glad I have you to talk about this so that you can go deep with this on me, <laughs> with me because I'm like, oh, I, I never, that was never a thought in my mind when I listened to this song. So I, but now that you're saying it, I'm like, well, yeah, I guess it could be. And if I looked at the lyrics and thought about it more, you know, I mean, I guess you can, I, it, interpretation it's so different. Yeah, that's the arty nerd in me. But 
along with that, what I love about the song is it's very subversive in so many ways. Like, you know, we have the melancholy of Drowned World and Swim. We have the exuberance of Ray of Life, which is so pure. Then we get into this murky little gray area. Even the music has a sort of yes. weird seductive look to it. Even the music is murky. If I see it from a narrative... Yeah. And, I mean, look at the lyric, moist, warm desires. Mm-hmm. And the guitar. Like, the guitar is very driven in the song. Like, it's it's very guitar-heavy. It's probably mm-hmm. the most guitar-heavy song that Madonna has done, including Gambler mm-hmm. and Burning Up. Like, this... This has a very, it, there's a lots of guitars in the song. It's not just the one. There's so much happening in the background, too. Along with that, uh, I also feel that this is also a song about discovering sexuality and sexual uh, diversity in many ways. Like, if you're going by the whole narrative concept, Ray of Light is the new birth and innocence. But now we are understanding the deep intricacies of human sexuality burgeoning from a young age. Like, if we understanding gender diversity, understanding so many different things, which, you know, for a young person, when they get, like, when they're exposed to, let's say, trans individuals for the first time, especially back in the 90s and the 80s, it was a daunting experience for many people who just grew up in a very vanilla, white bread existence, so to speak, where everything was in strict binary. So this song, if you go on the metaphor, physical journey this is basically the discovery of sexual divergence and sexual variety in many ways i also feel the song is also kind of a metaphor for sexual violence in many ways because you see the way the guitars get all fiery and angry mm-hmm. with the whole did i lie yes. to you bit it's like you know those old stories where men who would go with trans prostitutes and they discover it's actually a, a pre-op transgender person these there were so many cases of them being beaten up even till this day. And the thing is that I never liked you. I was who I was. You were under your illusions of what it was. It kind of probably is like, you know, kind of to show that the violence people who are not heteronormative men go through when they're discovering their sexuality in many ways. Right. Be it even if they are heteronormative women or even people belonging on the queer spectrum, this song has a metaphor about sexual violence which is also translated into the drum world tour performance where we see this dancer who's like a contortionist free of body free of spirit but the minute she and you know whenever i see it from a dancing perspective whenever we show contortions it's to represent freedom of movement in the body and freedom of the soul but what happens in the performance a heteronormative man wearing this gas mask and all the show oppression of patriarchy comes and attacks the dancer right. to yeah. shut her up and shame her. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't stop her. It doesn't stop her. But you know what's interesting? In the entire Drown World tour, they sh- they kind of the state they kind of go deep into the stage as the violence is continuing mm-hmm. to show that it's a never-ending cycle. But post 9-11, the girl wins the battle. Yes. It's actually one of my favorite songs. I I mean, I'm probably going to say that about a lot of these tracks, but um, mm-hmm. I I liked that there was a lot of guitar. And I think that was that was the main mm-hmm. driver for me liking this song. And I just thought it was like interesting and quirky and in a way sort of like love song is on like a prayer, mm-hmm. how it just stands out from mm-hmm. the rest of the tracks. I think this one 
this one stands out, but it also has a lot of those bubbles and blips and like, um, Mm -hmm. along with the guitar. Mm -hmm. I think it, it matches with the album, but also stands out in it on its own because of, um, how different it sounds. I feel like. I love on Honda do it. She ends the song with fuck off motherfuckers. Yeah. That was the first time. That's like the big fuck you to the patriarchy. Yeah, that was the first time I think Madonna addressed the audience as fuckers. And I think some yeah. people, I think at the time, some people were like offended by it. Like, did she just call me a motherfucker? <laughs> and like, yeah, she did. Uh, but she was embodying this whole like punk rock character where it made sense. Um, yeah. And I don't think a lot of punk rock yeah, Venus. I don't think a lot of people got mm. that um, at the time. So, you know how certain fan groups have their names like Mariah's are the lambs, uh, Katy Perry's are the kitty cats, certain someone's are, are the monsters, they're Arianators, they're Britney's armies and all. So when that was happening, a lot of people would ask me, what, are, what, are, what does Madonna call her fans? What are her fans known as? Granted, the Immaculate Podcast calls us disciples, but I personally think we're just motherfuckers because that's what Madonna has called us on every tour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's move on to Skin, or otherwise known as, before it was scratched out, Flirtation Dance. Um, tell me your thoughts on this. Okay, when I first heard the song... I thought, why is she using pickup lines as lyrics? Do I know you from somewhere? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, as I, over the years, I got into it more and more and more, I realized this is basically like if Candy Perfume Girl is exploring sexual diversity and exploring one's sexuality, falling down and trying to recover again from it, I would say this is the first time is about such deep, passionate sexual longing, which you can't explain. Like, haven't you ever been in a club where you just see someone, you think they look like someone you've seen on an app, but you can't be so sure. You lock eyes and you're just like moving together. And you just, part of you is just burning with desire, like, touch me, I'm dying. I just want to see inside of your soul, which is yeah. a very fun way just of saying, rub against I want to me. fuck just you. Like, yeah. yeah, just like, rub my arm as you pass by me like just gently brush against me and let me feel that like energy and i mean energy comes up a lot in this this album but there's like this this energy that radiates from someone that you're just so turned on by sort of you know and i think you know this song is a very good reflection of that and yes i understand it's a bad pickup line that starts out the song, but it's, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it sounds like a very intense song. Like in, and even like yeah. the way the bass pumps oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. can make you feel like you're envisioning, you know, having sex to the song. Like yeah, it's very, int- it's a very intense song. This is also the most hardest beat driven song in the album. Yes. Based on chronology and all. Now, if I go by my narrative sto- side of Ray of Light, this is the protagonist going dealing with a first toxic sexual relationship. That basically, <laughs> you you know they're bad for you. I'm not like this all the time because they bring yeah. up the worst side of you, the most desperate side of you. But you can't. You just keep wanting more. Why do you leave me wanting more? That's it. Put you in that little toxic relationship trap. And what happens I think we've at all the been end? There. 
we've yeah. all been there. And what happens is it leaves her pregnant, which will lead us into nothing really matters. Oh, look at you. Mm. You're getting very deep. You're getting very, you know, meta talking about these songs. So I love it. Well, this, um, this album is a meta album on so many levels. It That's is. Fun. Yeah. It is. And, you know, sometimes I like doing that. Like today, I love listening to your thoughts on this. And other times, like, girl, I just want to get on the dance floor and dance. Like, And this is, this is one of the songs, because that's what it is. It's yes. like, this is one of the songs which, and that's what lyrically it's also showing, you know, it's bad for you, this entire thing, but you just want to go up and do the flirtation dance. Exactly. And I'm I'm glad she changed the name of the song. I will say that. Yeah. Because <laughs> but, flirtation uh, dance just adds to the bad pickup line intro. It does. And I think it's a, it makes it a little bit too, like too on the nose, too obvious, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to explain to me what the song is. Let me experience mm-hmm. that as I listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, nothing really matters that I think when the album first came out, that was probably my, my favorite track. Cause I think it, it has this very house sound to it. And it was, it's mm-hmm. very, classic madonna um Mm -hmm. and the video which i find amazing i i love this video and i love i'll let you talk to or maybe i'll talk about it the the Mm -hmm. kind of meta what's happening in that video um Mm -hmm. and then she also she's only performed this once right she performed it on the grammys yeah um in the same theme as her video which was uh her memoirs of a geisha essentially um in this album uh, on this video but i thought it was interesting because someone had mentioned this it might have been one of the other podcasts or i read it somewhere where in the video there's like this floating skinny piece of wood uh Mm -hmm. but it's like large it's large but it's really thin and skinny Mm -hmm. and someone said the whole time she was in that box. And I'm like, yeah. wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me go back and rewatch this. And if you watch it, there's, you know, when she's in the red kimono, she's walking down this hall, walking back and forth down mm-hmm. this hallway, this like really mm-hmm. skinny hallway. And I, I never connected those dots before until mm-hmm. I saw this. And I probably sound like a really dumb fan because as you're <laughs> talking about things and I'm saying, yeah, I never thought of it that way before. It's, it's it's really opened me up to think about things in a mm-hmm. different way. And this was one mm-hmm. of them when I, I remember when someone had mentioned that. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're right. She's just standing in this floating box yeah. telling people about what she's going through. And she's kind of like, in a, in a way, like going insane because um, of all like the pressure and mm-hmm. trying to get to the point of like, nothing really matters. Love is all we need. Like, and I know it's very kind mm-hmm. of like, um, cliche sappy mm-hmm. message, but it's true. And I think her video does reflect that. You just have to, you have to get past the weirdness, so to speak, because there's a lot of weird things happening in this video. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if you listen to the song, you, you probably just think dance track, dance track. Um, but if you watch the video, it's, it's very, um, it's just so interesting. I love the guy that directed. I think he went on to direct Hung Up as well. Uh, but this was probably my one of my favorite, second favorite video of mm-hmm. this album. Your turn. Okay, so basically, first let's get the Japanese elephant out of the room about cultural appropriation for all that. First of all, this is not 
this is very intricately done and this entire song is about childbirth in many ways. So the white dancers, which you see them kind of shaking like zombies, they're doing the Japanese dance called Buto, which is basically like some people call it a dance of death, but I personally see it as one of the most intricate forms of classical Japanese dance. If you look at, there are a lot of Buto clips on YouTube. If you check it out, it's very intricate. And again, the intelligence of putting that in it and those white dance, those dancers in those white outfits represent sperm making their way into the birth canal, so to speak. And when Madonna is basically in the black kimono, she's the empty womb. She's the womb getting ready by the handmaidens to give birth. And the red kimono, Madonna is basically um, in Vedic, in yoga scriptures, we have the chakra. So that's the Swadesh tunnel, the sacral chakra, that orange color, which is where life begins. It's where life gets its fluid beginning in so many levels. So that's basically the spark of life growing inside the empty womb of the of the womb, which is being readied by the handmaidens all around it. It's a very beautifully done video because it, and the whole, the bag of water she's holding inside the video, that's a, that's a concept of yin and yang, basically, air and water mixed to create life altogether. And that's why we have the diversity of the kimonos. One is bright red representing yang and the black kimono is yin energy. So it's all basically birth happening inside of her, which is why I said in skin, it's a one-night stand or a toxic relationship. Maybe it's Carlos, who knows? But that's when... <laughs> no offense, I think Carlos Leon is absolutely gorgeous and he's a wonderful father to Lodas. He makes great turkey burgers. <laughs> but anyway. So, but that's the thing. It's basically this whole thing is about birth and childbirth. And that's where when she's saying nothing really matters, that's basically Advaita Vedanta philosophy, very simplified for the masses to kind of digest. But that's basically trying to show that, you know, this what we think matters in the world doesn't really matter. It's basically we have to move our consciousness beyond the surface level and understand that there's a greater power, which is love, be it universal love from the divine source, call it God, call it whatever. Oh, it's a love which is, some scripture says the purest love is what a mother has to a child. Freud would disagree with that, but, you know, it's to show that, you know, at the end, what really matters is purity of emotion and love and rising above that and finding a sense of inner clarity, which will make you see everything else is just an illusion. So again, it's very deep philosophical thing she's put into the song to make it so lyrically accessible. Well, Sigmund Freud analyzed this. <laughs> Where life begins, you're directing my attention to something that needs directing to, as well mm-hmm. as the listeners. So thank you. <laughs> so the single for Nothing Really Matters, she has dark hair. Um, mm-hmm. And this was like a new photo shoot that she had done and I remember she showed up, I, I forget the, the name of the the magazine, but I think it was like a, a British, I don't think it was a an American magazine. Maybe I'm wrong. She's not wearing a bra again. And she's like got her like perky bosoms like mm-hmm. poked out. And she just looks incredible um, mm-hmm. in this photo shoot. Uh, but some of those were used for this single cover. What is your favorite remix from Nothing Really Matters? Kruder and Dorfmeister, hands down. 11 minutes of pure sonic bliss. 
Yes, yeah. I like that one. I mean, Club 69 one is very good. I love kind of like the, the synth strings that they mm-hmm. use in that version. Mm-hmm. And I also like the um, the Vikram remix. That one's a really good mm-hmm. one too. That one sets mm-hmm. like a really good tone. Like I can, I have a lot of imagery in my head when that one is playing. Um, oh yeah, Vikram is my second favorite remix, but Cruda and Dorfmeister, when I heard it for the first time, I just remember this is what being high must feel like to just sit through <laughs> 11 minutes of the song and just let it take you on its journey. I absolutely love that remix. And it's yeah. such a shame this song doesn't get a proper live performance beyond that one Grammy performance, which I personally love. Well, we think, you know, before spoilers were a thing, and I remember going into Drown World Tour with with no spoilers, not really knowing what to expect except what they've already shown on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember thinking when she, we get to the geisha section, I was expecting Nothing Really Matters to be performed. Mm-hmm. Like 100%. Mm-hmm. There was no doubt in my mind that that song was going to be performed once I saw that she had a geisha, geisha section. Mm-hmm. And it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> right? instead, instead, because we got Sky Fits Heaven instead. Because, <laughs> because when I remember seeing as she was walking um, right after uh, Frozen, I was expecting mm-hmm. Nothing Really Matters to start. And then Sky Fits Heaven starts. Or like right after that first part of Murder Girl. Um, I was expecting Nothing Really Matters to start. Mm-hmm. But instead it was Sky Fits Heaven. It, it was fine the way it was done, but I think... Nothing Really Matters would have been a perfect fit instead of Sky Fits Heaven, which is the next song we want to talk about, right? Well, I think they should have just taken out Nobody's Perfect and put Nothing Really Matters in there because the entire Geisha section is about getting revenge on a man who humiliates you sexually. Right. But That's why he cuts a ponytail off and everything because it's symbolic of rape in Japanese her... kabuki theater. Her Velcro ponytail that was attached yeah. to her coat, Wig. not to her head. Um. <laughs> Stay tuned for part two next week, and I hope you enjoyed the first episode of season two. Be sure to rate this podcast wherever you listen, and follow me on Instagram at Madonna Get Together. Until then, little stars. <laughs>